the battles of the people of Israel. And when they were successful, what was going on? And when they failed, what was going on? And what you find is very interesting. When they went, knowing that God was their banner, He was before them. He was the conqueror. When they went in the name of Yahweh, for Yahweh's purpose, they were always successful. When they went to gain for themselves, to number their men, they trusted in their horses and chariots, they failed. Now that carries over into the new covenant in this way. When Paul describes the church, it is a militant church. It is a church on the march, on the move, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in Romans 8, he begins to refer to us as more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that theme is carried literally through all of the letters underneath his writing. And in John, it comes out to the seven churches where Aaron is. I'm not going to steal his thunder. But that's the label of the churches. They are conquerors. They are conquerors. They are conquerors. Listen, the Old Testament is the, is the, is the underneath of that. It's the skeleton that they build on in the New Testament. The, the armies of Israel represented to us, in a sense. They're representative of us. How did they defeat their enemies? Not by might, not by the will of man, but by the Lord, our banner, our God. It's a beautiful thing. Study the Old Testament. I just want to encourage you as we go through this as families, the names of God. Take those, and if you don't get through all the names, just, just study the Old Testament. It is the skeleton. It is the underneath. It makes the New Testament really come alive when we piece them together like that, those themes. And so we sang the song of Moses, and then we had Aaron praising God, and, and I just couldn't resist. Study them. Even the things you think like, oh, this is a battle, just move on. I don't like all the blood and guts and gore. There's a purpose for it. God is our conqueror, our great and mighty warrior. He defeats our enemies, not us. And physically it happened in the Old Testament, and spiritually it's happening in the New Testament. So, now the sermon. That was just free. All right. Friendship. From war to friendship. There really is a connection, huh? When we think of friendship, we don't often contemplate or think about the Trinity when we think about friendship. Most of us don't think about the Trinity enough. But the reality is our friendships, if they are godly and if they will be Christ-glorifying, have to be rooted in the relationship that God has within the Godhead. Truly, the Trinity is the basis for all relationships that are godly. It doesn't matter if it's friends, spouses, Fathers to sons, mothers to daughters, however you relate with your, your friends, your acquaintances, your neighbors, if you want it to glorify God, it has to be rooted in your knowledge and understanding of who God is. If you don't root your friendships and relationships there, they are worldly. John Owen said this, 17th century great theologian, I think... We say Jonathan Edwards is the greatest theologian in America. I believe John Owen is the greatest theologian in the English language ever. There's been no one to come close to him. He said this about it. The Father's love for the Son is the fountain and prototype of all love. And all love in the creation was introduced from this fountain to give a shadow and resemblance of this fountain. 
Every loving relationship that is truly loving is rooted in the knowledge of a loving God. Without Him, there could be no real love. And so all relationships are to magnify the Father's love for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and the Spirit's love for the Father and the Son. And this loving relationship is eternal. Therefore, we can say things like, in the Christian realm, friends are friends forever. Now, I know that was a cheesy song back in the 80s, right? But there's a truth in that. If your friendships are rooted in this Trinitarian reality and they are glorifying unto God and Christ honoring and magnifying, they will exist in the new heavens and the new earth. You will still have these friends. If you choose to base your friendships on anything other than that, they won't exist. They won't make it to the new heavens and the new earth. They will fall apart. Now, I don't, I don't want to um, spend a lot of time here, but just as a testimony, and some of you haven't gone through this, and some of you are going through it now, and some of you will go through it, and we'll all probably go through it. My best friends in high school were good friends. I mean, we, we, we worked together, we played together, we did sports together, we did school together. We were like a pack of thieves. We were together all the time, literally. We ate from each other's table in the summertime. There wasn't one, not many weeks, maybe no weeks, that either they weren't at my house or I wasn't at their house, particularly one friend more than the others. But I rarely talk to him now. Because the reality is, he and I were not believers, though we might have said we were at the time. We weren't, and our relationship wasn't built on Christ, and it hasn't stood and endured through time. I have other friends that I made in that time that weren't even as close of friends as him, and yet we still email and exchange and talk to this very day. We don't have to see each other for years, and then we can see one another and pick right up where we were. Because of the element of the foundational love of Christ that's in me and in them. And that's greater than anything you can base your relationship on. So this, relation, this friendship uh, sermon out of Proverbs is really rooted in the knowledge of the Trinity and the love that the Father has for the Son and vice versa. Let me, let me give this definition. Um, it's, it's a combination of several definitions. A true friend, a friend, is a companion who consistently and lovingly seeks your highest good for the glory of God. A true friend is someone who's seeking your highest good. And they're doing it for the glory of God. So let me give you five characteristics then of this kind of friend. How can you be this kind of friend? Do you have these kinds of friends? First of all, a friend is a person that helps you grow and mature through meaningful time together. Proverbs 27. Meaningful time spent together. You can't be a friend, a really good friend, from a distance. You, 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 friendship, and you noticed it in John's letter to the church. You notice what he said? I have many things I want to write to you, but I don't desire to write them in pen and ink. Why? Because I want to tell you face to face. I want to come and, and look at you in the eyes and you look at me in the eyes 
because that's how friends are made. We can correspond over long distances for a short time. But if you do that over a long time, the passion and fervor of the friendship begins to wane. You need to see one another face to face. Proverbs 27, this is why I think that is, because it's in those times you're together that you're helping one another mature and grow in a godly way. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So in the friendship, the purpose, one of the purposes of the friendship, one of the characteristics we can say of the friendship is that you're helping the other grow and mature in this relationship. And we see it in the scriptures, Jesus and the disciples. Jesus and the disciples spent many hours, many days together. Now, we have the synopsis version of that, the cliff notes, so to speak. We don't get all of what went on. We don't see all that they did together. But we know they were together. And think about how they were together. They were together traveling as companions. They were together working. Jesus was with them often when they were fishing. Sometimes he did things that shook them to the core, right? Like fill their nets up with fish when they were completely without any fish at the end of the fishing cycle of the night, right? And he would just bless them that way. They cooked and ate together. They ate meals together often. It's obvious. But what was underneath all of that relationship that set it apart? They were, Jesus was constantly sharpening them. Now, this, this it doesn't always, I, I, as you study this verse, you realize this isn't always a painless adventure, is it? When you take two pieces of iron, what it's saying, and you, you hit them together with skill, you shape them and you sharpen them. But how do you shape them unless sparks fly and things get difficult? We see those moments with the disciples, don't we? Where Jesus, the best friend to ever walk the planet, says in the Carlton version, you are wrong, Peter. That is unacceptable, Peter. Get behind me, Peter. Satan. Sparks are flying. I mean, Eric, if I say that to you, sparks are going to fly, Right? It's not a painless process. There's shaping that must go on. Some of you won't spend time in relationship with people unless you always get along. When things get hard, when things get said that aren't kosher to your way of thinking, you just say, well, we just must have a personality conflict. It'd be better if we didn't spend time together. Some of those people may be your very best friends. In the long run, they may help you grow more than anybody helps you grow. Nobody grows in an environment where everybody loves them. That's like taking a plant and putting it in the sun and dumping water continuously on it. You will kill the roots. It will rot and die. A, too much of a good thing, in other words, in a friendship will kill it. If you keep covering over the hard things, you will kill your friendships. Iron sharpens iron. There must be tough conversations that shapen and sharpen, not destroy. Jesus never destroyed his men. But he was honest with them. He was straightforward with them. And he did it in love and truth. There were other times when you may think Jesus uh, should have been a little rougher on them. 
like when they left him at the cross. He wasn't, at that point, he wasn't rude, mean. He was compassionate and understanding. He was a good friend, Jesus was. Not just Jesus, but Paul was this way with Timothy and Titus. Paul, Jesse, studied this, uh, this very passage this week for our study on Fridays. Paul left Timothy in a tough spot. I mean, that's one of those assignments where when you get it, you might want to write the letter back to the guy that gave it to you and say, Let me, I thought we were friends. You left me in Ephesus with a bunch of heretics as elders. Leaders in the church are teaching false doctrine. You put me here and I'm 35 years old or something like it. I'm not old enough for this. This isn't kind. You left me. But that's not the way he responded. Paul urged him and pleaded with him and begged him to stay in those hard times. Work. Be a workman approved for his workmanship. Keep being a good soldier in the fight. Paul was constantly upbraiding him, encouraging him, sharpening him, placing him in environments that weren't comfortable but were for his good and for God's glory. This is a godly friendship. Friends, true friends, are not people that sit around and let you continue to fail in life, but rather they help you grow and mature. They're real in the really hard times. I think about in our modern day, this very example in Together for the Gospel, the foundation of that are friends. Modern pastors, modern theologians, and their friends. And they don't agree on a lot of subjects. Theologically, they disagree on a lot of points, but they agree on the main point, which is Jesus. And so through their personal conversations, the way together for the gospel, which now is one of the greatest conferences you can attend. I encourage all of you men in here, because it's particularly for men, go. It's in Louisville in April, every two years. Go. How did that start? They were friends sitting around at hotels or houses and talking about Christ. And as they kept doing that over the years, they said, you know, we ought to invite everybody to be part of this conversation. And they started a conference based around their friendship in Christ. And if you go there, you sense that. You sense that. That's, I think, a driving theme of that conference is these men love each other, and so we can love each other. And you sit by Presbyterians and charismatic reform people and, you know, uh, guys that look like Puritans and talk like Puritans and guys that are real metro. And you got from all stripes, colors, types, but they're all there praising God. Why? Because the foundation of that conference were friends that were founded on Christ and the gospel and it bleeds back into all the other relationships. Because they were sharpening one another, now they're sharpening thousands in this conference. And so that's just a modern example of this principle or this characteristic that friends help you grow and mature in, in by spending meaningful time together. Don't just waste your time together. Meaningful time. Don't waste it. Don't just sit around and watch TV. But help one another grow. Have godly conversations. Sharpen one another. Second characteristic is a friend is with you in all circumstances. Proverbs 17, 17. Proverbs 17, 17 is the text that teaches us this. The, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom about friendship. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Rain or shine, thick or thin, a true friend is with you till the end. 
Now that's a neat and cute little rhyme, but there's truth in there, isn't it? Rain or shine, thick or thin, my friends are with me and will be with me no matter the, 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 the circumstance. Truly, this is the foundation verse, one of the foundation verses for a great marriage. The problem in some marriages, some marriages in this congregation, is you really don't like each other all that much. And you've kicked it in the mode of, we're just going to get along. So you're just coexisting. And in the day of adversity, you stick your head in the sand and ignore it. And your marriage is stuck. It's just, you got that feeling, it's just treading water. Great relationships, great friendships, no matter if it's good times or bad times, rich times or poor times, no matter with the condition, the outward condition, or even the inner struggle that's going on, you don't bear your head. You go to the person in love and you walk with them hand in hand through that adversity. And the fire of the conditions around you sharpens that relationship melds that relationship, unites that relationship like never before. Instead of seeing adversity as something to run from in your marriage or your friendship, what if you looked the person in the eye and said, this is a very difficult time. Honestly, right now, the easiest thing for me to do would be to leave you alone and just move on, but I'm going to look you in the eye and say, I'm with you till the very end. I don't care how hard it gets. I don't care how low we go. I'm not leaving. Some of you need to do that in your marriage even today is go sit down on a cup of coffee, tea, Coke, or whatever you uh, like to enjoy together and drink and say to one another, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. We can work through this. True friendship is the basis of even the marriage. Great marriages have this element is what I'm saying. And Jesus was, was an example of this. He was with his men till the very end. John 17, Jesus told the Father, I have kept them, Father, until the end. I've not lost not one of them. I've kept them. I've sanctified them by your word. But yet, and this is where I want to maybe help you, yet some of you have been abandoned by your friends already. Times got hard in the relationship, they walked away. And you're reeling from that. Can I just say to you, look to Jesus as your example. Now, at the garden, his men couldn't stay awake to pray with him. Think about how that must have hurt. Here's the greatest trial of his life. He's dying for them. And he's in the garden, weeping, broken, hurt over the, what's coming. That very night. And his men can't pray with him. They're just sleeping. Notice his reaction though. Compassion. Understanding that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Then he gets arrested and where do all of his compadres go? Do they stand and say, we'll go with you. What you face, we'll face. No, they're gone. Vanished. One follows, you know, one follows from a distance. They're They're afraid and frightened and like sheep without a shepherd, they're scattered. 
And yet at the cross, Jesus is still intent on saving them. Some of you have been abandoned in your friendships. You've been hurt, wounded. But you need to respond like Jesus or like Paul. From my study this week, Paul and Jesus stand out as the greatest of friends. Paul in 2 Timothy has given his whole life, a Christian life, to training a few good men. And what does he say? Everybody's left me. The Lord didn't leave me. But everybody else, I mean, this guy's in this place and this guy gave back to the cares of the world and this person's on this business, Aaron, but I'm all alone, but God's with me. He's not angry. He's not embittered. His response from being abandoned by a true friend, because they were true friends, is love and compassion. Understanding. The truth is that true friends are with us no matter the conditions of our life. And when we face adversity, they remain committed in the relationship. Many times this will determine whether your friendships are godly or worldly. Worldly friendships crumble under adversity. Godly friendships rise and strengthen and stand through that test of time. Third, uh, reality about a friend from the Proverbs is that they're willing to give and receive godly wisdom and counsel. They're willing to give it and they're willing to receive it. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because in a couple weeks, Dave's going to really flesh this out in a sermon all by itself because the Proverbs are filled with this, okay? This is, this is an overriding theme. The giving and receiving of wisdom or counsel. But it's also an element of true friendship. I'll just run through a few of the verses, really. Proverbs 12, 1, this is just a few. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, I know, kids, I used a bad word. It's in the Bible. The person who doesn't like correction is stupid. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but in the end... But, but, excuse, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your later years. Young people, myself included, need to hear this. There are people who are spiritually gray-headed in our congregation. They're not always right. But they do have vast more experience than we do. And when one of them takes the time and energy to come to you and say, Hey partner, I know you think what you're doing is helping your wife. But let me tell you from experience, you're destroying your marriage. Let me help you. Our ears should go on. Right, wrong, or indifferent. We should listen. Receive it. Be willing to hear. The, the reality is that true friends can both give this kind of wisdom and they can receive this kind of wisdom. Some of the best friends I have, I would say the best friends that I have, are men and women who do not cower down to me when I do or say things that are not right, they come to me. They're not afraid to say, I don't think you're right about this. I think the way you treated that person, I don't know your intent, but I can tell you what it felt like on our end 
when you acted this way, when you said that thing, when you gave that look, don't do that. Those are my best friends. Because I can't grow again without that kind of wisdom, without that kind of counsel. I remember early on in my parenting, and I've used this before, Bob St. John sat me down and just said, listen, I kind of had to figure this out myself, but this is the way you need to discipline your children. And I have thanked him countless times for that advice, for that wisdom. I could have said, who's he to tell me how to parent? I've read the book. I know what I'm doing. He's old-fashioned. But I'd be the dumber for it. My kids would be the less for it. There have been other times when I have not responded so well. When I have spurned good counsel and I have paid dear prices. So I just stand to tell you that friends give and receive this kind of counsel. And truly, Ecclesiastes, I know it's not in, in Proverbs, but it is the same writer. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse nine, beginning in verse 9. We quote this passage a lot, and we don't put it in the context of the passage that comes right after it. Verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. The picture is on a journey, there's dangers. And you might fall. And if you're traveling alone, you're stuck. But if you have someone with you, a friend, they can help you when you fall. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is a passage on friendship, on the, the, the life journey that it, that it takes. And we all are going to fall and we need companions that pick us up when we fall. Verse 13 says, look at this. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Now, the Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon near the end. And I don't know, but I think he's really referring to himself. When he started his reign, now, he wouldn't have been poor in our terms, okay? But comparatively to the end of his reign, he was poor. The, the riches that poured into the treasure of Israel under Solomon were untold. From all corners of the earth. So at the end of his days, he was really rich and well off. But look what he characterized himself as. When I was poor and wise as a youth, I was, I was better off. But now as an old king, I'm foolish. And I, because I don't know how to take advice. 14, for he went from prison to throne. Though in his own kingdom, he had been born poor. I saw all the living who, about, who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Some of you need to hear this today. You're not a good friend because you're not willing to receive the help of another. 
and your life will end in vanity. People at the end of your life will not come to your dying bed impacted and changed by you. They will, they will not be helped by you. And reverse, some of you need to be better friends because you need to give this godly wisdom. It's nothing worse than being in a conversation when someone says, and this happens, yeah, that person's got all these problems and they list all these problems. And then you say, well, have you told them? Oh, no, I'm not telling them. They'll figure it out. You are not a friend. You're worse than an enemy. It's what the Bible says. The wounds of a friend are to be cherished, but the kisses of an enemy lead to destruction. Friendship is built on this type of relationship, and Jesus exemplifies this to us in his very life. All great Christians have. Fourth, a true friend wounds and is willing to be wounded. Now this goes, the reason I put it after the other one is because godly advice at times wounds you. It stings. Don't judge the advice by how your heart feels when you first receive it. Do not buck up and say, well that wasn't, that wasn't kind because it hurt me. That may have been the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you is to tell you what hurts you. Don't judge it by your immediate reaction. And don't be unwilling to receive a blow. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. What do you think about when you hear this verse? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Exactly. Judas. In the garden, when everybody's shaking in their boots, there's only two people in the garden that we could say are somehow related to Jesus in, without question. One is Peter. He picked up the sword and cut a man, tried to cut a man's head off in defense of the Lord. And the other is Judas, and he's kissing Jesus. Judas was a terrible friend. He was an enemy. The Bible says you can't judge that your friendship by the outward appearance of this friendliness. True friends love you enough to tell you the truth. And sometimes friends have to wound you because they love you. I said earlier, some of my best friends are this very thing. And, and some of my best friends, my very best friends, are in this church. And it's because they've been willing at times to do this very thing, to wound me. I didn't ask her permission, but I, I think we'll, we'll be okay. She's smiling. This very week, listen, this very week, Debbie Acker sent me an email. Okay? And it was, it was um, corrective. And it was needed. And I'm better for it. And I love her more dearly today than I did last Sunday. Some of us will never reach that level because we're not willing to risk the surfacy relationship that we have. Thank you. Listen, we can't build a community 
on surfacey, thin, kind, giddy words. We must dig deep. And sometimes in digging, wounds happen and blood flows and sparks fly. But at the end of the day, we stand before the throne of the Lord Jesus and we look more like Him. And the most faithful friends you will have in this life will stand side by side with you. Both more conformed to His image because you were willing to risk everything. For one another. Wounds are going to be received and they need to be accepted. Proverbs 28, 23 says, He who rebukes a man will end, will in the end gain more favor. In the end, you gain more favor. If you have integrity with your friends, if you speak true words to them in love and they wound, at the end they will love you more for it, not less. And if they're not willing to receive that kind of discussion or talk, then you have to question the relationship. Now, I'm not talking about being nitpicky, okay? But when we see things that are unrepentive, that are patterns, that are repetitive, over and over again done, they need to be addressed. We can bear much also in a friendship. Sometimes you have to bear a lot with me. I know that. But you don't always speak up immediately because you're watching and you love me. You're watching my, my, my life. And you say, well, it's not a pattern. It was a one-time thing. But when the one-time thing becomes the second and the third time, we probably ought to have a talk. Lovingly, privately, but have the discussion. Patterns are always addressed. Friends speak up. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, it is death. That way of death is littered by so-called friends that didn't have enough of a friendship to speak up. This will not be easy, but it must be done. Finally, a true friend is loving and loyal. A true friend is loving and loyal. Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is where I want to end. I put this at the end because there's two examples of this in the Bible, clear examples of this in the Bible that I want to use to end. Just to really paint a picture of friendship. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Samuel. For the first example, 1 Samuel chapter 20. This is a troubling time in David's life. He's facing the persecution of Saul. And verse 2 says, And he said to him, Excuse me, David fled from Naoth in Ramah. And came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And Jonathan said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. 
But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. If he says good, it will be well with your servant. But if he is angry, then then know that harm is determined by him. Therefore, dead deal kindly with your servant for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you but if there is guilt in me kill me yourself for why should you bring me to your father and Jonathan said far be it from you if I knew that it was determined by my father that harm would come to you would I not tell you and David said to Jonathan who will tell me if your father answers you roughly and Jonathan said to David come let us go out into the field So they both went out into the field. And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow on the third day, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with you. With my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. This is friendship. It's loyal and it's loving. Here Jonathan expresses the heartbeat of the Lord Jesus. He's willing to risk his own life for his friend. Literally. And he's willing to protect his friend at all costs to his own family. He even calls down a curse of God on himself, on his own family for the sake of David. Now he asked that David be sparing toward him and his children. And David keeps that word later. But do you see the love here of a friend? The loyalty of a friend? It's thicker than anything. Because the covenant driving this friendship is not surfacy worldly relationship. But godly deep devotion. It's rooted in the gospel we can say. This friendship is. Their souls have been knitted together. Earlier in the text it says their souls were knitted together. They were inseparable because of their love for God together. This is the example that I see in the Bible of a true friend that is loving and loyal. But that's not the only, is it? Jesus said, no greater love has any man than this but that he lay down his life for his friends. And so the ultimate example of true friendship is our Lord. He is the friend of sinners. We sang it earlier this morning. He went and died on Golgotha's tree 
for you and for me because he was our friend. Not, not this superficial stuff we hear in pop songs now about Jesus is my friend. This was a covenant relationship, a loyal and everlasting relationship, which was founded on the Trinity, founded on the love that he had for the Father, and so he willingly died for his enemies to make them his friends. He laid down his life. He's the embodiment of this passage in Proverbs 18, verse 24. He sticks closer than a brother. And some of you are not good friends because you do not have him. Some of you are not good friends in your marriage because your marriage is not founded on him. And you don't display his love in your marriage. So the only action points this morning, two action points I have for you. One is just to examine your life and know whether the friend that sticks closer than a brother, Jesus, is your friend. Or whether you're still his enemy. Don't start fixing your external friendships until the internal relationship has begun with Christ. Because any work you do on your friendships prior to knowing Him will really fall flat. The second action point is to examine the people's life, your life with the people that you call your friends. I challenge you to do it. Sit down. Go through these five. At least, there's, at least there's more than this, but there, these are the five main ones that I see in the Proverbs. Examine every relationship that you refer to as a friendship under this, these standards. And say, do I have friends? Do I really have these people in my life? The one who has many acquaintances, that's what the Proverbs say, the one who has many acquaintances will be destroyed. If you never examine your friendships based on the scriptures and see whether you have real friends, when you're in the most hurt and trouble, you will have nobody. And your life will be destroyed. You will fall and no one will pick you up. Examine the relationships. And, I, and, and in that examination, be willing to go to the people you've called friends and say, I failed. That may start an, an amazing relationship. Of, and go back and forth between this. Discuss it. Talk about it. Pray about it. Examine your heart. Know whether you are in Christ. And then know whether you are a true friend. In the end, we could sum it up by just saying, a friend has to be a friend. Some of you may be sitting there saying, I don't have any friends. That's where the examination is really key. You don't have friends possibly because you're not a good friend. Let's be honest before the Lord. Let's be honest with one another. Let's build relationship on this type of friendship. Let's pray.